G'day wherever you are around the world and thank you for joining us once again. It is time for, well, we don't really have a category for this. This is kind of uh, out of the box. This is Nehemia Gordon and once again, the cultured Kara-eyed and Nehemia, once again, I'm speaking to you while you're jet lagged. It seems like I'm perpetually jet lagged, Jodo, but yeah. You are perpetually I'm, jet, particularly on truth to you. Yeah, well, I'm a jet setter, I guess. So I'm actually right now, I just arrived two days ago in, in Texas. And um, and I think I'm going to get over my, you know, I've just come back from China. And I'll probably get over my jet lag just in time to fly to Israel and, went, <laughs> and get jet lagged over there. So <laughs> my body is not happy with me. And undoubtedly, when you get to Israel, perhaps we'll record something else again. G'day, Dev. It's great to speak to you. And while, I'm, well, while I've got you on the line, I'll just tell you, I just finished my kefir smoothie, my banana blueberry kefir smoothie, and I feel pretty good for it. Oh, great. Let me tell you what I've made for Nehemia. I've made him kefir and some protein powder and some raw organic cacao powder, which Ooh. is cocoa, which is chocolate, and uh, some stevia, and he loves it. It was delicious, but I still can't figure out, does it make it healthier if you call cocoa by the name cacao? Is that like somehow make it healthier? <laughs> yes, that's like, I don't understand what the difference in cocoa and cacao is. Go on, Dave. You have to be a food snob. Come on. What's wrong with you? Is that like the French pronunciation cacao? Cacao. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what I've always been told. Is that some, has something to do maybe with macao or I don't know. It doesn't, anyway, it's, not, so, it's not quite powdered peanut butter, is it? Like, Cacao? No, it's not powdered peanut butter. I think but you, it's a little heavy. No. But you were putting in your kefir while you well, were I was in China. China, where they don't have any fresh milk, and now I'm over in Texas and I'm drinking raw milk directly from the cow. Uh, still You're drinking directly from the cow. Butter and <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, bottle in the refrigerator, but I'm told it comes from directly from the cow, unhomogenized, unpasteurized raw milk. With uh, which honestly, if you would have told me a few years ago you're gonna be drinking raw milk, I'd say you would be able to pay me to do that because you know that that'll get me sick. But, um, but you've made all I'm, sorts of things since then. I mean, you, how many barriers did you break when you uh, downed a grasshopper? Yeah, and I, you know I'm, and, and I'm gonna announce it here on Truth to You. I'm going to Israel. I'm gonna be there for about three weeks, and there's another grasshopper in my future. And maybe we can do that live on Truth to You. Oh, look, I would love wow. to do that live. <laughs> you think you're going to do it? Is it going to be a live grasshopper this time? No, it can't be live grasshopper. It's got to be uh, It's got. It's got to be dead. Uh, you know, in according to Torah, we don't eat live animals. That's cruel, and, and you know, you have to slaughter an animal. It's commanded. So How do it's you slaughter a grasshopper? That's what I'm wondering. But actually, you drown them is it the way you slaughter them. Really? Yeah, because they have an exos- exoskeleton, and so you put them underwater, and they like almost instantly drown or something like that. All right, okay. Yeah. I'll hold you to that. I'll hold you to that when we're all over there. Now, listen, uh, yeah. you've just returned. You've just returned from China. I just want to know: Do you miss it already? I do miss China. China is such an amazing country. Uh, it's you know I've been to so many countries and so many different cultures and places. I, I feel so blessed, but China is so different than anything I've ever experienced or seen. I mean, it, it's mind-blowing. It really is an amazing place. Do you do you feel like you are irreversibly changed as a result uh, of going to a culture so incredibly different to the one that you're used to? I really feel like my mind has been, you know, my, my horizons have been broadened and my mind has been, I don't know what the word is, set free in a way. Yeah, I definitely feel, I feel like I've been irreversibly changed. And I have to act, act, actually control myself when I'm, you know, uh, I don't know. Somebody gives me something, or I'm at the store and they give me the receipt, and I, and I say shish, yeah, 
And I say to people, you know, like in my head, I'm I'm still I'm still speaking Chinese or Mandarin, <laughs> little I know of it, uh, which is thank you and ni hao, hello. Um, but yeah, so I feel really blessed that I've had this opportunity, and, and I don't think I know it's not a small thing that you know I know many people never get to leave the country of origin, let alone go to some places as different and, and exotic as China. Mm. Uh, and you know, and then on top of that, I go there and they they see me as different and exotic. And so that's a nice interaction. Sure. Uh, you know, so it works both ways. I mean, you had a, you had incredible adventures. You told us about some of those. How you were traveling China and preaching the word and yeah. uh, picking fights with monkeys. But... <laughs> he attacked me. <laughs> no, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. You hit him with a stick, and he went to get his mates. Is what him. you told us. Raise the stick to threaten him because he had physically attacked me. And but anyway, let's not discuss that. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, and I'm told that you know uh, you shouldn't eat in front of a monkey, and, and I'm supposed to know better. Well, now I know. Okay. Now you know. <laughs> anyway, so um, but yeah, I'm really excited because I'm I've just gotten back to Texas, and now I'm about to head to Israel, uh, to my hometown of Jerusalem, and I'm going to be there for the Aviv search, which I'm really mm -hmm. excited about. It's going to be a really special Aviv search, which maybe we can talk about in a few minutes. But I want to share something about China that that really like uh, opened my eyes. So Please. I was traveling around China, and um, uh, I, you know, I went all kinds of remote places, places that probably the average tourist doesn't go to. I'm sure they don't go to because if you don't know Chinese, there's no way you can get there. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even buy a. It's it's amazing. You go to buy a bus ticket, and you can't buy the bus ticket because the bus schedule's in Chinese, and the people selling it don't speak a word of English. And so if you don't have somebody helping you, and I was blessed that I had somebody helping me who spoke some Chinese. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you do that alone, I mean, it's impossible. There's just no way to do it. Um, so anyway, so I'm in this little town in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, so I'm in a place that for China is pretty remote. Nobody speaks a word of English. And I'm sitting there in the hotel, and it's probably like, I don't know, around 1 in the morning. And I've just come back from a long day of touring and hiking and, and, uh, and enjoying the, the beauty of, of Yehovah's creation and nature and and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm filthy, disgusting, and I want to take a shower, and there's no hot water. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm a tourist, and there's no hot water, and that's just how things are in China, and you just have to accept it. You know, you're in a third world country, and what do you expect? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sitting there in the lobby, and this Chinese woman comes down, and she starts yelling at the um, at the uh, at the people running the hotel. These these two young women, and and the gist of it was explained to me is that. You know, there's no hot water. If you can't provide me with hot water, give me my money back. That's a basic service that I'm entitled to and that I paid for. Wow. And uh, and she end, and what amazed me is is and I don't know if you've ever seen a Chinese woman when they get upset, they're like a bian pao. Bian pao is the Chinese word for firecracker. They go oh, wow. off firecrackers. So you, um, <laughs> you know, because they're like very quiet and reserved and, and, and polite. But anyway, this this woman had become a bian pao and she exploded and a uh, firecracker. And, uh, and and they gave her her money back. That's what shocked me because um, I know in America there's the concept the customer is always right. I mm -hmm. didn't know that concept had reached China. Uh, I know it definitely hasn't reached Israel. In Israel, we have the, unfortunately the principle the customer is always wrong. Um, and uh, you know anyway. So what, what here's what opened my eyes and shocked me. So here I am in 2013 and I'm in China, and this uh, young Chinese woman is complaining that she doesn't have hot water for her shower and she demands her money back. Mm -hmm. Now, what blew my mind is that her grandfather or great-grandfather, you know, I don't know her specifically, but two generations ago in China, people were starving for rice. Literally. Not, not mm -hmm. that they were hungry. 
they were dying of starvation because they didn't have enough food. And mm. now, two generations after that, the, the Chinese people have advanced so much that if they don't get hot water, then they demand their money back from a hotel. I mean, think mm. about that. It's amazing. And what really opened my mind to this was, was um, the greetings. You know, I talked before about Dagahao and Dajahao and, uh, and, and Nihao and that stuff. But yes. the common greeting in Chinese, I learned, is Nitsurlama. And Nitsurlama, it means, have you eaten yet? And did I share that last time I was on? I don't think I did. I don't. I don't think you did. I don't so, think just so. say it. Say it one more time. Nitsurlama, which means "Have you eaten yet?" So there, there's a translation of "How are you?" which is uh, "Nihao ma." But normal Chinese don't say walk up to you know somebody and say "How are you?" "Nihao ma." What they say is "Nitsurlama." Have you eaten yet? And when I, when somebody first asked me that, I'm like, um, I'm actually eating right now while we're on the phone. And I'm like, why are you asking me this? Like, that's just so strange. You ask if I eat yet. But this is the standard greeting of the Chinese when they meet somebody on the street is, have you eaten yet? Let, and let me ask you something about that. Um, because you, you mentioned, uh, Hamid, in the same way that we might say, how are you? But when, when we generally say, how are you, yeah. we don't really want to know the intricate details of, of, of how somebody is. In it's, fact, it's sad we don't want to hear it. Please don't tell we me. Don't, we don't necessarily want to hear it. It's just a greeting that we use. When they ask you, have you eaten yet? Is it the same kind of thing or are they ready exactly. to give you some food if you haven't? No, 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 no. So it's a standard greeting and they don't care. You're supposed to say, Tzirla, I've eaten. Um, so, you, you know, they don't really care if you've eaten yet or not. But it's mm -hmm. the greeting. But think about where the greeting came from. And it got me thinking about Hebrew greetings, English greetings, and, and, and it was really eye-opening. So think about the English greeting, how are you? And the answer is, I am fine. And really what you're asking about is a person's health, if you think about it. And, and so where does that come from? How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm okay. Right? Why, do, why are they constantly asking the, the English speakers about how you are? And I think the reason is, and I don't know, we could study the history of it more, but it's, uh, my guess would be the reason is that um, the English people throughout history were a very sickly race. Um, and it's probably because of the water. You know, they, their um, sewage intermixed with their drinking water, and they had um, constant epidemics of cholera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was actually in London in the 1800s that somebody discovered that, that, that cholera, this, this horrible disease that killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions throughout history, that mm. it was caused by the contamination of the drinking water with the, um, you know, with, with the sewage. And in other countries like, like you know, Italy, if you think about it, and France, they were drinking wine, and in Germany, they were drinking beer, so they didn't have the problem so much of drinking the water. But in, but in England, I guess they drank some beer, but they drank a lot of water, and that and that got them sick all the time. And so if you so what, what you're, you're saying is, if you if you travel back in, in into the history of harder times, uh, perhaps that is the reason for a traditional greeting such as uh, "How are you?" or "Have you eaten yet?" I think so. yes. Yeah, so so the Chinese ask. Have you eaten yet? Because they were constantly starving. And then it mm. got me thinking about the greetings of ancient Israel. And we really have two main greetings. Um, and one of them exists in Hebrew to this day. The modern, and you should, you're about to go to Israel, Jonah. I think the standard greeting in modern Hebrew is Ma Shlom Cha, which we translate as how are you, but it doesn't mean how are you. It literally means what is your peace? What is, which, you know, which basically means are you at peace? Do you have peace? Um, and you're supposed to say besedo, okay, um, or actually literally means it's all in order. So, but why? And this is a greeting that appears already in the book of Genesis, where um, where Joseph meets his brothers, and it says he asked their peace and the peace of their father. Now, why are they asking about peace? Well, they've almost constantly been at war. That's right. 
the, the people of Israel have constantly been under siege and at war. And so the greeting of ancient Israel is is to ask someone's peace, Mashlomcha, what is your peace? Uh, you know, Joseph did it and David did it and many others in the in the Bible ask about the person's peace. Because they're, we are people who are constantly you know, being attacked by our enemies. The other greeting is something I've taught about, but never really stopped to think about until now. Never stopped to think about the significance of it. So when, when Boaz is walking on the road from Bethlehem and, and he sees the men harvesting, he says to them, Yehovah imachem, and they say, Yehovah. He says to them, Yehovah be with you. And their response is, Yehovah bless you. And you actually see this greeting in a number of other places. It appears in the Psalms. And it appears in, in the story of Gideon, and, and, and uh, we're told by the ancient rabbis that this is how Jews would greet one another in the name. Um, mm. But think about it. So Yehovah be with you and Yehovah bless you is, is a standard greeting. So the concern of the English was that they were constantly sick. The concern of the um, Chinese is that they were constantly starving. And the fear and concern of the Israelites is that they would be alone. Mm-hmm. So the blessing is Yehovah be with you. And Yehovah bless you. So, that, so there's two things really. They were there was their concern, being alone without God, and and having the blessing. So they wanted God to their heavenly Father to be with them, and for their heavenly Father to bless them. And <laughs> wow, I want to shout. <laughs> amen, <laughs> amen. That is fascinating to look at it in that light. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and yeah. what I'm realizing is to learn a lot about a culture from their from their greeting, something we take so for granted. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Listen, when we spoke last, you weren't finished your, uh, your tour around China, uh, and, and you did continue for a couple of weeks. What adventures uh, befell you while you were there? Did you have more opportunity to uh, spread the message of, of A Prayer to Our Father, the book A Prayer to Our Father, uh, co-written with Keith Johnson and uh, available from truthtoyou.org, and also your latest book, uh, as well, shattering the conspiracy of silence. All right. Well, I mean, I, I I was I went to a number of places in China where I did share about the word of God, and you know, and really appreciated it. And uh, for me, this was a great blessing. And the people there told me they were blessed as well. And so I, I you know, and I, I want to once again thank everyone who contributed to getting me over to China, because you know, without those people, it wouldn't have been possible. And so they really, I feel, have shared. In this, um, in this blessing of being able to go to these places and share with these people. And, you know, one of the interesting things that, that people in China asked me when I was speaking, um, they, said, they said, you know, we've been told by the Christians, missionaries who come over from, from Europe and America, that we're supposed to witness to the Jews. And, and they said, and this is one of the questions I was asked when I spoke. Um, they said, you know, how do you as a Jew feel about that? And I thought it was interesting being asked that by the Chinese. Because China is a country that has um, that the people from the West came and tried to force their ways on the Chinese, mm-hmm. um, and you actually had if people know the history in the 1830s and 40s. There was something called the Opium Wars, where the people from Europe came and they wanted to sell opium to the Chinese, and the Chinese said, "Wait, this isn't good for us. We don't want this," and mm-hmm. they forced them. Uh, they forced uh, the Chinese government to allow them to sell opium in the in the Chinese market. They actually defeated the Chinese government in a war. That allowed the Europeans, especially the English, to sell uh, opium and, and basically drug out the whole country for decades, and um, and so the Chinese have been the subject of of colonial imperialism. You know, imperialism means when you go to another country and try to force your ways on them and, and take mm-hmm. from them and and and, uh, um, 
and you basically are forcing them to do what you want. And what I, my response to the Chinese per, people who asked me about, you know, how what it, what I as a Jew feel like when when Christians try to witness to me unsolicited is that that's spiritual imperialism. That that is the Europeans who persecuted us, who raped us, who murdered us, who uh, who 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 wronged us for two thousand years for the sole reason. The reason they gave is that we didn't believe in Jesus, mm. and then for them to come to us and say, "I want to preach to you a message of love about Jesus Christ." That to me is spiritual imperialism, and uh, and I think it's really interesting. And I shared this with the people in China, China that the Jews who do believe in Jesus are so ashamed at what was done in the name of Jesus and done in the name of the one that Christians call Christ, that they won't even call themselves Christians. They call themselves Messianic Jews because they're so, they're so humiliated by what Christians did for 2,000 years. And I told the people in China that a day will come when they as Christians will need to call into account the Christians of Europe and, and the West for their persecution of the people of Jesus for 2,000 years. Mm. Um, so... You know, when somebody comes to me and tries to preach to me about, you know, this message of love, how I need to accept Jesus, or I'm going to burn in hell, and this is after 2,000 years of them persecuting my people and murdering them and raping them and literally raping them and stealing from them yeah. and, and forcibly converting them, and then you come to me with a, and tell me how you have this message of love, um, you know, that, that to me is uh, spiritual imperialism. Uh, now, if I go to someone and say, you know, I want to know this, can you share this with me? Okay. And I actually gave them the example in China of, of their train. The Chinese have the best train system in the world. I've never They're seen right. anything like it. And what they and I actually studied it. I read up about it to find out how did they get such an amazing train system. And what they did is they actually went to experts around the world and invited them to come to China and learn from them and then applied what they learned from those experts in a Chinese way, in a way that was relevant for them. Uh, and they came up with a Chinese solution. Now, and I said to them, imagine if, if, if those experts had come from Germany, and actually there were German expert, train experts, and said, you foolish, barbaric Chinese, we're going to teach you how to make trains. Well, mm -hmm. the Chinese would tell them to, you know, to go, go take a hike. Mm -hmm. um, and the point is that, um, you know, imperialism doesn't work. You could try to force your ways upon someone, um, but it doesn't work. And if you, try to, if you try to force your, you know, to, to quote witness to a Jew, um, you know that that's just offensive. Hmm. Um, I, I think if if they want to show the fruits of their faith, they should show it by um, by behaving in a decent way and 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 through their actions, rather than through through in the, the same way that Israel is uh, is supposed to be shining the the light to the nations, be a light to the nations. Yeah, and they've got their work cut out for them because, like I said, they're coming after two thousand years of persecution and murder, hmm. culture. and so you know. Um, you know, you better get started if you want to show the fruit. You know, Jesus is the one who said, uh, know a tree by its fruits. And the fruits mm. I've seen of Christianity and the Jewish people collectively, I don't mean me personally, but the, the fruits that the Jewish people have seen of Christianity uh, are the Crusades and the Inquisitions and the Holocaust. Mm. And if you want to show us something else, well, okay, go ahead. But so far, all I've seen is spiritual imperialism and, um, you know, and and so I... So I, and this and they accepted that. I think the Chinese could accept that and understand that in a way that I'm not sure the Europeans and Americans could, because mm. they don't have the same level of arrogance, especially the Christians, um, that you see among European Christians and American Christians. They realize, okay, we have they, they believe they have the truth, but you know they know that their grandfathers and great grandfathers were worshiping idols, and and but for the grace of God, they would consider could be continuing to worship idols and. And, and they're speaking to somebody like me who my 
ancestors were worshiping the one true God when they were um, not that long ago, um, you know, burning incense to Buddha and, and Confucius. I mean, literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sure, Dev. Sure, isn't it amazing? Well, there, Dev. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I, I want your I want, I I want your thoughts. I want your thoughts, Dev. I want your thoughts because I, I I really I've never heard it put like that before. Spiritual imperialism. I think that's a brilliant way of of analyzing that 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 particular situation. What, what are your thoughts regarding that? Well, it's very sobering. Um, you know, I I think that uh, we we don't spend enough time. Uh, in the history, uh, in, in I, you know, in the history of, of you know the United States and and those of us you know Jews, you know, re recalling the history, I, I think we do tend to make it more a part of our lives, um, you know, passed down in families, mm -hmm. um, and and I don't see that in in the American culture, you know, as much as I see it in the Jewish culture. Um, so it is a very sobering way to look at it, a very sobering thought. And like Nehemiah always tries to tell people, you know, you've got to continually keep after the history, context, and language. And that Amen. should be applied in your whole whole life, not just to the Tanakh, but in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I totally agree um, with that. Can, and, can, I, can I share a story? I got to share this story. <laughs> I just remembered please. it. And I got to share it. So I was, one of the things I wanted to do even before I came to China um, was and I was asking constantly in my hosts and anybody who would listen is you gotta find me a family to spend New Year's with. Uh, I was in Texas. Oh, the Chinese, the Chinese New Year, December thirty first. Yeah. December thirty first. I was in Texas and I and I celebrated, uh, experienced the American Gregorian New Year's for the first time in my life. I never did that growing up. We didn't do New Year's Eve. It wasn't part of my. He wasn't culture. with me. I want. I want to qualify that he wasn't with me. <laughs> Not with Deb. I was with another family in Texas and I did a traditional American. Uh, um, you know, uh, New Year's. So I wanted to, before I even got to China, I wanted to experience a Chinese New Year, New Year's mm -hmm. Eve. And the big thing in Chinese New Year's Eve is Chinese culture is, as you can guess from what I've been talking about, it's all about eating. Eating is a very important thing. The people were starving for, for thousands of years. And, uh, and so eating is a really big deal. And so I wanted to experience a Chinese New Year. Um, New Year's Eve with a traditional Chinese family and, and I was asking everybody who had listened invite me to a Chinese family and, and there were all these families who wanted me to come but they didn't speak any English and I don't know any Chinese and finally I found someone who had who could host me who could speak some English mm -hmm. and um, and and I was very honored and this was in a place called uh, Canton which is where you get the language Cantonese or Guangdong mm -hmm. and it's one of the provinces of China and there they speak the Cantonese language and, and, and I was told that at the New Year's Eve meal um, which which I was extremely honored. It was uh, primarily a vegetarian meal. And this is from a people who puts pork in, in just about... I mean, they put pork in more things than the Americans do. Um, you know, oh, look, Nehemi, I'm not sure about that. I've seen pork ice cream. That's true. Yeah. You got me on that. But, no, but these people... I, I'm telling you, in China, pork is, is a seasoning. I mean, it's, it, they put it in everything. And so I, you know, I asked them you know, if they would... I'm, I'm their guest, but can I impose on you as my guest, and can you honor me by making some vegetarian meals? And they did, and they even understood the concept of, oh, we're going to be eating the pork. We're not going to take our chopsticks and stick them in the, in, in the veg vegetables because, you know, you don't eat the pork. Like, that, that even, even that was, a, you know, a big deal that they, they comprehended. Because right. most of the Chinese sure. people I was with, like one place I went to eat, they, um, they threw everything in what they call a hot pot, where they just put everything into this boiling pot of water. 
and there was pork in there and shellfish and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I can't eat that. And they're like, oh, just just pick out the vegetables. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. If it's cooked together, then I can't eat anything that was cooked with it. Oh, yeah. So anyway, this family, you know, very much honored me and and uh, and you know, it was a big deal. But I was told that part of the tradition, if I want to experience it, is about every five to ten minutes, I need to say, oh, delicious. Um, and I have to say that in Cantonese, which in Cantonese is ho ho sick. So <laughs> ho ho yo ho ho in a bottle of rum is what I was thinking. But, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so ho 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 sick. Uh, about every five or ten minutes to honor the the mother who had you know made all this food for her her the matriarch had made all this food for the family and you know it's sure. a big family affair. It's a big deal. Um, and then I was told that when I'm done and I don't want to eat anymore, then I have to say I'm full, I'm satisfied, and that is so. You say whole whole sick, whole whole sick, whole whole sick every five to ten minutes. You got to make sure you keep saying it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when you're done, you say sick baula, and sick baula means I'm satisfied, and, and yeah. it's very important. This is part of the culture that you know it's all about eating and the things related to eating. And so finally, oh my God, I must have had more vegetables and tofu than I've ever had in my entire life. And uh, tofu, by the way, is not considered a health food there. That's a thing they eat every day in China. Um, now, tofu, Dev, tofu, I think we've spoken about tofu before. This is the, the thing that's, isn't it sort of like this rubbery uh, well, substance? Yeah, it, that- it, it can be. Now, that's hard. That's the, the firm tofu that looks kind of rubbery. But you, you can make so many different things out of it. And it it uh, takes on the flavor of whatever, you know. Because it has no flavor, right? Right, right, right. And, so you've they, got a flavor. It was, I think soy sauce is something that you often put on. Soy sauce well, and hot spice is <laughs> what the yeah. Chinese do. <laughs> yeah. Soy sauce and hot spice. Okay. All right. Yeah. Soy sauce and, and you know, and, and pe- some kind of red peppers. It's delicious. Anyway, so finally I, I'm doing ho-ho sick, ho-ho sick, ho-ho sick. Uh, delicious, delicious, delicious. And then I'm done. I can't eat another drop of bean curd uh, of tofu skins, which were, oh, my God, amazing. And then finally I say sick baula. And I'm sitting there at the table. And the people are staring at me. And finally, somebody says, why are you still sitting here? Go sit on the couch. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like oh, 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 okay. And I realize everybody else who said sick baula, they're on the couch. And, and they, they really don't understand what I'm still doing at the table. Like, you said you're satisfied. Did you misunderstand the culture? And so I get up from my chair. And I slowly walk over to the couch. And I sit down and look around and... Nothing negative happens, and I'm like, I'm home. I have arrived. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can happen. I love China. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you think you'll be going back one day? I sure hope so. I pray that it is Jehovah's will that I get to return to China. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. So there it is. There's some of the uh, some more of the stories, and I do believe Nehemiah. I would be very surprised if a lot of these don't make it into your next book. <laughs> yeah, and, right. <laughs> and I can't wait for that. But uh, tell us, that's China. But you're the the next place where you're going to be jet lagged is, of course, Israel. What's right. what's going on in Israel besides being jet lagged? Okay, so the main thing I'm doing going to Israel is for what we call the Aviv search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those who have been following um, my, the Karite Corner and the Karite Corner newsletter and, and the stuff that I've been doing, my ministry over the last, I don't know, 20 years, they know that um, one of the big issues that I deal with is the biblical calendar. And and really that's something that, that's been um, you know close to my heart for many, many years, the biblical calendar, really since I've been in high school. 
I've been been studying and researching and, and trying to live and walk out the biblical calendar mm. uh, to the best of my ability. And um, and one of the things I've been involved with for um, now twenty over twenty years now essentially is uh, is the Aviv search, which uh, in the book of uh, Exodus it says Shemot Chodesh Aviv Asita Pesach LeYehovah Alohecha Ki B'Chodesh Aviv Yehotziacha Yehovah Alohecha I'm actually Miyot Mitzrayim Laila That's what it says. Um, observe the month of the Aviv, etc. Exodus, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 16.1, Exodus 23 and Exodus 34 also talk about keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the month of the Aviv, because in the month of the Aviv, Yehovah brought you out of Egypt. And if we study scripture and history, we find out that Aviv referred to a stage in the ripening of the barley. You can see this in Leviticus 2.14. And I have an article, a study on karaitecorner.org that talks about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked Karait, about this on your Karaitecorner.org. Karait Karaitecorner, corner with a K. Right. Because Karaites can't it. spell. That's why we have the culture. Because Karaites can't K spell. And the Karaite corner with a K. And, um, there we go. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so um, so basically the, the biblical calendar as it was observed really up until around 359 AD when it was changed by Hill II was mm-hmm. the observe, the beginning of the, of the months by sighting the new moon in the land of Israel and the beginning of the year by, the, by examining and looking at the, the ripening barley. And when the barley reached a certain stage of ripening, which in ancient Hebrew was called Aviv, then uh, the next new moon after the, Aviv, the barley reached Aviv, that was the beginning of the Hebrew year. And this is talked about in ancient Jewish sources. Um, in fact, uh, there's a famous letter of Gamaliel, uh, or Gamliel, who is sitting, we're told he's sitting on a step on the Temple Mount, and he dictates a letter to the Jews of Babylonia telling them about how how the, the barley's not aviv, and so they're, they're adding a, a 13th month of the year. They're adding an extra 30 days. And even in the time of uh, King Solomon, we hear about how he had uh, 12 tax districts, and each district paid taxes one month a year, um, oh man, I wish I lived in the kingdom of Solomon. Um, <laughs> and um, and then there was a thirteenth, uh, and then there was and there was essentially a tax officer over each district. And then we're told there was one over the entire land. And uh, the the historic explanation of that thirteenth tax officer, who sounds extraneous, right? If there's twelve months, why well, have a thirteenth tax officer over the entire land? So we're told in the ancient sources that that was for the leap year. Because a Hebrew year is either twelve months or thirteen months, and the idea is that in the thirteenth month, it's not fair to put extra taxes on one district, so they put it on the whole land. Um, right. So anyway, what we're what I'm going to travel to Israel to do is to uh, look at the barley and determine whether it's reached the stage of Aviv by the end of the twelfth Hebrew month, which really means um, I'm going to be looking for the Aviv barley March 11th through 13th. Um, those are the th- two or three days, uh, which is. A little complication I'll talk about in a minute, whether it is, uh, when exactly the 12th Hebrew month ends. Um, but basically, if the barley reaches that stage of ripening, then the next new moon is the beginning of the Hebrew year. That's our our biblical New Year's. So this mm-hmm. this will be my third New Year's in as many months, if, if that happens. Um, I had the Gregorian, the Chinese, and now the That's Hebrew right. biblical That's one. Right. And um, now if it's not, if the barley's not Aviv, then we've got to wait until the next month, and that would put okay. it a month later. And that's now, act- now, yeah. Nehemiah, just before, just just uh, press pause there just for a second. I want to continue, but I just want to go back a little bit. Yeah. This is uh, uh, this is a tradition that's historically documented back to. I mean, what, how how old are some of the documents that support this new year? Oh, I, I suppose the oldest document is the Bible itself. But like mm-hmm. I said, it's mentioned in the first century in, in the letter of Gamaliel. It's mentioned in other sources that date to the time of the Second Temple. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that in the fourth century, when 
under Roman persecution, the rabbis uh, uh, were told had to abandon the biblical calendar. They say this, and they mm -hmm. replaced it with a calculated calendar in the year 359 AD under Hill II, who was the head of the last Sanhedrin. And mm -hmm. um, and one of the things he did is he he uh, he proclaimed the beginning of years and the beginning of months all the way up until the year 6000 using an approximate calculation. And he says the reason he did that is it was the best that he could do. Mm -hmm. um, this is what the, rabbin, the rabbis explained, that, that um, the Romans would no longer allow them to um, proclaim the beginning of months and the beginning of years, mm -hmm. <coughs> or more specifically, the Romans were interfering. And, and, the, and the reason for the Roman interference is really interesting. Remind me to, to tell you about that in a minute. But basically what, what happened is the rabbis ever since then have been following a pre-calculated uh, calendar, and they say when the Messiah comes, then we'll go back to the original biblical calendar. Well, you, everyone who's listening hopefully knows that I'm a Karite Jew. And as a Karite Jew, I say when the Messiah comes, I want to tell him I was doing the best I could with what I had. Amen. And, Amen. Um, and so Karites throughout history have actually been uh, following this Aviv system. Um, we have documents going back to uh, the Middle Ages where they continued to follow this. Even after the rabbis stopped doing it, Karites still did it. Um, and it was done as late as, I mean, all the way back, all the way as late as 1642. Mm -hmm. And after 1642, it seems to have stopped, and then it was recommenced. It was done again when people, when the Jews returned to Israel in the uh, in the 20th century, really back in the 1980s. And so it, since the 1980s, uh, every year, Karite Jews have been going out and looking at the Aviv barley, um, the way okay. it's done so, throughout history. So this is what I wanted to ask you. Let me just clarify what you just said, just to get it straight in my head. You, you've been doing this for 19 years, is that correct? Is this the 19th? I think my first year I did it was actually before I uh, made Aliyah. I'd come to Israel uh, to visit, and that was 1992, if I'm not mistaken. And there were people doing it oh, prior yeah. to... Ah, okay. Right. Now, when, when... Sorry, just again, when was it revived? Sometime in the 1980s. Indeed. Okay. Yeah, the late 80s. And so, so I, I, I tell people all the time, this isn't something I invented. It's not something that I started. This is something that people were doing before me. And, you know, it's documented in history. And I wasn't the first one to do it. And it's something that, that definitely I've, um, uh, you know, I deeply believe in and have dedicated mm. myself to. And um, I guess over the years, I've kind of been the most prominent person who's been involved in it. But sure. I, anybody who, you know, asks that this is not, you know, this isn't the Nehemia thing, something he invented and, and made up in some you know personal theory I have. This is something that Jews have been doing for thousands of years. Gamaliel in, in, uh, uh, is documented to have been doing it in the first century, and, and it was done in the temple. And I'm just carrying on that tradition the best I know how. Mm -hmm. And you've been privileged to be a part of it for the last 20-odd years. Now, there is... Uh, so there is the speculation as to whether there's going to be 12 or 13 months so, in this year. In the, in the Jewish calendar, in the Hebrew calendar, there's always 12 or 13 months in a year. We don't have a leap day the way they do in the Gregorian calendar. We have a leap month. And like I said, Solomon did that in his time, and that's why he had the 13th tax officer. But mm -hmm. the way the rabbis determine the 13th month today is basically they've de decided in advance all the way to the year 6,000 which years would have 12 months and which year would have 13 months. And every two or three years, you have a 13th month. It's not a rare event. Every second or third year, there's a 13th month. Now, we won't know if there's a 13th month until we examine the Aviv barley based on the, the, the biblical system that was you know mm -hmm. historically done in the temple and after. Um, and so... Uh, so that that cre you know the rabbinical system they've already decided in the year 359 whether 2013 would be uh, a leap year or not. Hill decided that in advance. Um, 
he said until the Messiah comes, we've got to con- you know do this approximate system. Um, and I say, why do the approximate when we can go and do the actual system? Um, we've actually been blessed that we've returned to the land of Israel and we have sovereignty over our land. And, and other than a few rockets, you know, it's <laughs> it's doable. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, there are those, but yeah. Well, I mean, we're laughing, but actually, the area we go to look for the Aviv barley is is heavily bombarded by rockets. So that's actually mm-hmm. not a good. So Nehemiah, just to just to clarify for everybody, the Aviv, the terminology Aviv. Modern Hebrew Aviv has taken on the meaning of of spring, the season of spring, and that's actually a really interesting thing that happens. in, you know, biblical Hebrew isn't the same as modern Hebrew. Modern Hebrew has a process called uh, chilun, or the secularization of the language. And what they did is they took all these these terms in the Bible that had had. Um, religious significance and gave them a secular meaning. And, and the example they give is lichate means to remove sin. Well, nobody in modern Israel is really talking about removing sin. It's a secular society. So the same exact word, lichate, means to um, to sterilize a wound. Um, so instead of removing sin, you're removing removing uh, pathogens and disease. Mm-hmm. So, so the word aviv in biblical Hebrew uh, and all the way up until really the 16th century uh, uh, always referred to a stage in the ripening of barley, and in, from around the 16th century and on, it takes on this new meaning of of, uh, of the season of spring. Now, if you ask what's the Hebrew word for spring in the Bible, the answer is there is no word for spring in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. And the reason is that in, in biblical times, they only had two seasons. In fact, even in the Mishnah, you know, uh, written in the 2nd century, they also only refer to two seasons. And the two seasons are the rainy season and the dry season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of four seasons, that's something that comes from Greece, and it's more appropriate to the European climate than it is really to the climate of Israel. We've sure. got the rainy season and the dry season. And the rainy season is winter, and the dry season is summer. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so, basically, this aviv is a stage in the ripening of the barley, and, and we have to do, go out and look at the fields. Now, in ancient times, they didn't, they didn't you know, drive around the country looking at fields, obviously. Each farmer would look at his field, and they would look at them on a regular basis because, you know, whether whether you starved or not was dependent on whether you know your barley ripened at the correct time. Mm-hmm. Um, if it ripened too late, well, then it might get destroyed, and if it ripened too early, you know, you it also could be damaged in various ways. It might it might have a small yield. So, so what all this means in practice is that at the end of the twelfth Hebrew month, we're going to go out and we're going to look at the Aviv barley. And we're going to determine whether it's a thirteenth month or not. And that this year is going to be March eleventh and twelfth. Those are the last two days of of the twelfth month. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of. Um, I'll get to the sort of part in a minute. And then and then basically what that means is that um, if we find Aviv barley, then the feast of unleavened bread, or Chagamatzot, which is commonly called Passover, but the correct terminology is the feast of unleavened bread, mm-hmm. that will run from March twenty second. 26th at sunset through April 7th at sunset. Let, let me talk about the complication. <laughs> Please. So, so we've got two factors to begin the year. One is the new moon, and the other is the barley, uh, the Aviv barley. Mm-hmm. And so, new moon normally we can we can predict in advance when it will be visible with with pretty high accuracy. Well, this year we're not there. We can't do it with high accuracy. And so, what that means is on March 12th we're going to look for the new moon in Israel. Um, and it, there's no certainty that it will be cited, but there's no certainty that it won't be cited. So the answer is we really don't know if the moon will be visible on March 12th. Um, mm-hmm. If it's not visible on March 12th, then it becomes March 13th by default and should be easily visible. Um, 
So, so we've got two factors which could 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 uh, affect the timing of the Feast of Unleavened Bread based on the, the biblical calendar, the new moon and the Aviv, and so basically we have three potential sets of dates <laughs> for for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeah. Um, so, and I actually made myself a chart here that maybe you can post on Truth to You. Please. So, if the Aviv is found by March 13th, and the moon is sighted on March 12th, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread will be sunset March 26th through sunset April 7th. If the Aviv is found by March 13th and the moon is not sighted on March 12th but isn't visible until March 13th, then it will be one day later, sunset March 27th through sunset April um, 8th. Um, I believe that's correct. Um, and yeah, and then uh, if the Aviv is not found by March 13th, well, then, then the new moon isn't an issue. It's easy. It's April 11th. And that would make the Feast of Love and Bread sunset April 25th through sunset May 10th. So. Um, Anyway, you know, this is, um, I understand a lot of people are confused by this and it, and it seems complicated, but it's really very simple. You know, you had simple farmers who would go out into their fields and look up into the sky and they would know what to do. And what's made it complicated is that we've been separated from from the, from our ancient ways. We're no longer in an agricultural society, we uh, live the majority of us. Concrete and wooden cubicles. Uh, <laughs> we live in these little, you know, essentially cocoons hmm. cut off from the ways of nature. And, um, you know, in ancient times, in, you know, and to this day in some places, but, you know, in ancient times everywhere, they didn't have electrical lighting. And, uh, you know, and the cycles of the moon were extremely important because it was free light. You know, hmm. think about it. You've got Hanukkah where the Jews made a, a national festival because they got eight days of free light. Anyway, so, they, uh, <laughs> so the point, yeah, so look, I mean, so the point is that, that if you're a farmer and you need every moment of light that you have available to do your work, and you're always living on the verge of starvation, then you know, you're know you constantly paying attention to the moon because that's a source of free light. And you're also paying attention to your crops because mm. you know, you miss it by a few days and, and you die because you know, the locusts came and ate your crops. You know? I mean, you, you've got to, these were things people were hypervigilant of and, and paid very close attention to. Well, today we've got to get in the car and drive around the country um, and examine the crops, and um, and you know, and, and so it, it seems complicated, but it really isn't. It's something we've made complicated, and and it's really a matter of going back to these original ways. Now, now the the crops that you're observing are mostly down in the south. Is that correct? Uh, not exactly. No. So there's two main regions that we found that ripen earliest. You know, because Leviticus 23 talks about. Um, the wave sheaf being the beginning of the harvest, so we're looking for what mm -hmm. happens earliest. And the one, the two main areas are the, what's called the northwestern Negev. Um, now, people may know that the Negev is a desert, but the northwestern Negev is actually a very fertile region. Um, I guess fertile on Israeli terms, not not in the not in the terms of Kansas, but for Israel, it's very fertile. Um, and then the other area is the Jordan Valley. Those are the two areas that uh, ripen earliest. And the Jordan Valley is actually in the center of the country, the cent mm. central east of the country. So you 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 are doing some. Uh, reasonable distances, and you're, you're taking, a, you're hiring a car ride, and you're doing these, taking these trips, and examining the fields that that you get permission from farmers to enter. Is that correct? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not always. Not always. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's my philosophy. Don't ask. Uh, don't ask the question if the answer might be no. Dev, have you ever uh, accompanied? <laughs> <laughs> Nehemiah on, on, on one of these trips? 
I have. Um, uh, my, my husband and I lived in Israel for a year, and we mm-hmm. were very, very blessed to get to go on an Aviv search with Nehemiah and some other searchers. And um, I, I have to tell you that way before I was ever a cultured Karaite, um, I, I used to grow a garden before we went to Israel. I, in lots of places I lived, I, I was able to grow gardens, and I'm, I've always been one of those people that um, like to dig in the dirt and like to be outside. Okay. And when I learned... It's great therapy, isn't it? No, I've got to stop is. for a second. Isn't gardening great therapy? It really it is. is. I mean, we were talking about good and bad stress the other day, weren't we, on Culture Karai? Exactly. Dev, it's and, it, it's eustress. And a eustress. Eustress yes. is great, great, really good stress. And getting out in the sun and getting some vitamin D and occupying, centering your mind onto, uh, onto a garden, things that grow out of the ground and caring for your garden, I just find it to be such a great therapy and it really gives me so much relief uh i love it and I, you know what's in my garden at the moment what what i've got some i've got i've got uh little cherry tomatoes coming up i've got some oh. i've got watermelon oh. coming up i've got little mini pumpkin and and white squash and uh, uh what else have i got i've got all this stuff and i love my garden so i can totally oh. relate to what you're saying Deb. please continue well, and unfortunately, um, right now in my life, I, I have herbs. I don't have a garden. I have herbs. What's you know, an herb? Oh, yeah, herbs. I forgot. Thank you. No, no I you forgot. I have herbs. I have herbs everywhere. Are we talking about I some can... guy named Herb? Uh, yeah. No, I've got herbs. This is one of the <laughs> – and this is – the other thing is that Nehemiah, whenever he talks about humans, he says humans. What's yeah. that? Humans, yeah, not <laughs> – Humans, there's no you. There's you. Anyway, humans, so you Houston, whale. <laughs> I've got I've got parsley and I've got chives and I've got all all sorts of uh, mints as well. Oh, I've got some great mint, lemon balm. Anyway, anyway, so you got herbs. Well, anyway, so so you know when I learned about the Aviv search, I was like, oh wow, you know this is this is something that I'm really really interested in. Um, you know, probably more than the average person because I like to grow things. I love to to. I would love to have a farm. That would be mm-hmm. like the ultimate for me. But anyway, so we, we go on this Aviv search and I, you know, was learning about the history of it. And, you know, and of course, I, I, I could see in the Tanakh where, you know, we're, we're told, you know, go out in the month of Aviv. And it, it was just so exciting to me. And, to, and, you know, everything for me living in Israel that time was uh, certainly exciting. Um, and But I, it's an amazing adventure to go on, on this Aviv search and to learn about the different stages and and uh, of the Aviv and you it's not just looking at it you got to pinch some of these little ears these little tiny ears on on the on the barley plants you you mm-hmm. can actually pinch them and um, and you can tell something about what stage they're in uh, in the ripening stage by doing that and I I had such a, a tremendous experience and I learned so much and I know you know I know that Nehemiah is sitting there thinking and ah, she's forgotten all of that. She doesn't remember, but I I do. And so I decided to do something. Mm-hmm. I I decided that I wanted to prove to him that I remembered everything I was taught ab- about the Aviv barley and how to look for it and you know the stages of it. And so you know what, Jono? You planted I'm a little. To, you planted what? I'm going to go to Israel too. Whoa! Awesome news! You're gonna go. I was gonna say you must have planted a little crop in your garden, but you're actually going. What are you? You're going. going. When are you going? I'm going to Israel on March the third, and I'm gonna I'm gonna 
start searching around for some Aviv barley. I, I, I'm really excited because I really hoped that you and I could do something together. While oh, my goodness. I was just about to say we're going to be there at the same time because yeah, I get to I'll see be there. You. Keith and I are going to be traveling around doing the tour, of course. Oh, and uh, and and Hemi is going to be flying in. You're going to be flying in. We're going to catch up with Yoel at some time. I'm telling you, it's a truth to you reunion. It is. It is. How can it be a reunion when I've never met any of you in person before? What? You've never met me? I don't believe that. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is good. That's be incredible. Deep. That's so the exciting. First, I'm... first uh, the very first truth to you, you know, get together. That, that's it. Is exciting. And and Jono, I've got these plans. For us, I, I want us to drink some resveratrol together. We're uh, definitely going to be drinking some resveratrol. Resveratrol? That sounds like some weird drug that should be. A, what the heck? What's that? Don't, don't you listen to the cultured carite? I mean, come on. He does listen to the cultured carite. But I, I really am excited. And I, you know, I talked to. Uh, I know Nehemia. You know, it. I admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that he knows my heart and that um, I'm really, I am truly interested uh, in, in the Aviv search and, and, uh, and I'm truly interested in being more help to him. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to go. Um, my, my poor little husband is not going to get to go. He's kind of oh, pouting. So, so he and Hani, you know, can commiserate together and kind of pout yeah. together. And but, uh, but he he's okay. He he's uh, he's happy for me to go. And uh, so I'm gonna go too. And I'm that I'm, is so exciting. Just tell me one thing, Deb. Are we gonna go to Shook together? Yes, we are. You're gonna, gonna go, go to the Shook. shook. We're gonna hmm? go. To I've never. You're telling me, Jono, you're gonna go to the Shook with Deb. That's yeah. what I'm planning to do. We'll bring the microphone and we'll we'll go on a trip and we'll see if we can get a whole lot of healthy veggies and fruit and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm Enjoy excited. Enjoy going to the Shook. It's fun. <laughs> I, I love going to the Shook. I well, you should come along. Let's go. Let we'll all go there and we'll we'll do a program. It's, it's <laughs> Looking forward to that. So I'm I'm very I'm just very very excited. I I have not been back to Israel since um, I left there. And of course I everybody knows I I left my heart and soul there. So I got to go back and find them. What year was and that? When did you leave? Two thousand and six. Wow. Yeah, it's been a, it's been too long. Can't, it's been. I can't imagine long. being away from home for that long. Listen, listen, stop yep. winching. I've never, ever been there in my life. This will be my first time, and Woo! I'm really, really looking forward to it. It just seems like it's getting better and better. Wow. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. But let me just, let's just step back for a second, because not only is it a lot of fun, uh, for you guys, it's a little bit costly, because doing the Aviv search is not a free exercise, right? It's not a, I mean, you right. guys got to hire a car, you got to drive around, you got to do all sorts of stuff. Right. So, and, and actually, uh, uh, you know, I, I once again want to say how much I appreciate everybody who contributed to the China, you know, for our going to China and we couldn't have done it without you. And, and really we can't do the Aviv search without you. Um, you know, I'm putting my life on hold. Uh, my life's on hold anyway, I guess, but, but getting back into my life, which is something I've started doing since getting back from China is something I've got to now put on hold in order to go fly over to Israel to do this Aviv search. And so, we can't do this without you. We need you guys to help and participate. And the way you can participate is by helping us out with the costs. We have uh, flights to pay for and um, gas to pay for. And you might think, oh, it's just some gas money, right? But we're going to be traveling, driving thousands of miles around Israel, um, which is a lot for a small country, but we won't be driving in a straight line. <laughs> we'll be traveling right. through winding <laughs> yeah, fields no and dirt roads. And and, and, uh, and this is a country where, what is the price of gas in Israel, Deb? You, you told me you looked it up. The recent, the I did. I, I 
kind of did a little pencil calculation yeah. on it, and it looks like it's about nine dollars and thirty nine cents oh. a gallon. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that must be some good gasoline, but it's it's just regular gasoline, and that's the price. And so uh, we've got to you know rent cars, or as they say in Australia, hire cars, mm. um, and uh, and pay for all this gas and and other expenses. Um, and so it, it's actually becomes quite a costly endeavor, and and you know, and so I've been doing this Aviv search for many years, but I don't do it alone. Uh, hundreds of people around the world participate with me through their contributions, and, and so I want to invite people to be part of this mitzvah, part of this, uh, of, of living the Torah, of, uh, of walking out the Torah, and, and the way they can do that is they can go to uh, com, my favorite website, com, and the pandas are now gone, and in place of the pandas, there is the Aviv Search 2013 widget where people can log on and they can um, make a donation through PayPal. Excellent. They can also Excellent. do it by phone by calling Deb. Deb, can you give them the phone number they can call it, uh, the U.S. phone number people can call to make a contribution? It is 682-422-6007. And, um, yeah, so you can you can contribute to the Aviv Search and... Um, and, uh, and it's actually a five hundred one c three in the U.S. It's tax deductible, and they can also they can also send in uh, a check to the address. What I'll do is I'll I'll put those details on this post. I'll also put that PayPal widget uh, on this post as well, so that uh, listeners can contribute via Truth to You uh, on on that particular page. And uh, but once again, it will also be on Nehemiah's Wall, uh, Nehemiah's Wall dot com, right? Dot com. It already is up there. Right. Nehemiah right. There can I okay. can I say just a, a tiny bit about McCore Hebrew Foundation? Um, and actually, uh, for me, one of my my main focuses when we started the foundation was the Aviv search. Um, we you know we needed a way. It was it was becoming more costly and becoming more costly. And we and we founded McCore Hebrew Foundation in two thousand and eight. Um, and for me, my first thought uh, for that, uh, I'm, I'm, one of, I'm one of the directors of the foundation, was that um, we would facilitate the Aviv search because it's, it's so important. It's just absolutely so important. It's absolutely biblical. It's absolutely, um, well, for me, I don't, I don't want to, you know, place it above anything else. But, we, you know, we don't know about the feast the rest of the year until we do this. And so I, I think it's huge. And that was, you know, one of the first thoughts in mind in even making McCore Hebrew Foundation in the first place. And mm-hmm. throughout the, you know, the years, pe- more and more people have become, have come to learn about McCore Hebrew Foundation. And I, as one of the participants in it, as a director, I can't say thank you enough to everyone for all the support and the the interest, uh, and people write to me and say, you know, tell me more about it, and you know, what you know, what does this do, you know, for Nehemiah? And we talk about, you know, I explain that, you know, we help with uh, research for him, and uh, and doing the Aviv search. So uh, this is just phenomenal how people are so generous and want to participate they they might not be able to go to israel they might not they couldn't go to china but they can participate at you know actually by doing this uh, by contributing and then we're going to give we're going to give a whole bunch of reports um you know as as we go to israel we we won't leave people in the dark we'll we'll be giving them reports and updates and you know uh, and with you jono doing truth to you from there so many programs that the people are 
really going to get a, a good bang for their buck. Oh my goodness, I can't wait because Nehemiah, the cultured Karaite, Yoel Ben Shlomo, and Keith Johnson, and myself are all going to be over there at the same time. This is just, I, my, my, I'm just so excited. I'm really, really excited. All it right. is. It's so, kind of overload. <laughs> it's overload. So there it is. Dear listener, again, I'm going to be putting that PayPal widget on this post. You can find it there and also at NehemiahsWall.com. NehemiahsWall, NehemiahsWall.com. You can find it there and, uh, and, and give back to this particular ministry in that way. Also, there is, uh, I'll put the phone number and the postage address on uh, if, if you would like to prefer to send a check. Put it on this post as well for your convenience. Thank you, Nehemia Gordon and the Cultured Curry for coming back on to Truth To You. Is there any parting thoughts, Nehemia? I just want to ask everyone, have you eaten yet? <laughs> Thank you, my friend. And in Chinese? Ni Surlama. Actually, if we're saying it plural, it's Niman Surlama. Well, or as we say in Hebrew, Shalom. Peace. Shalom. Shalom. So May Yehovah be with you and may Yehovah bless you. you may amen. May you not be alone and may you be blessed. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for coming back on. Looking forward to seeing you guys very, very soon. In the meantime, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.